Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. If you have your Bible or your phone, you can turn to Luke 20. Luke 20. We're going to look at verses 9 to 26. Uh, This last week past, my whole family was sick. There wasn't enough buckets to go around at the house. And uh, as the week was progressing, it started to look like I was going to be coming to church all by myself. Now, the, f- the first guy that got sick was River, and then everybody after that was just like dominoes, one by one. And because Riv got sick first, he actually started getting better towards the end of the week. And so we're sitting on the couch on Saturday, we're watching a game, and he looks at me and he goes, Dad? I was like, what? He said, do you think that uh, God would be disappointed if I didn't go to church? Because I don't want to go to church. And I realized that when he asked the question, what he was really asking and wondering is, how can I please God? He said, he, said, he looked at me straight. I said, you don't want to go, do you? He's like, mm-mm. He says, I'm feeling a little bit better, but I don't want to go. And so Riv's like, Wondering, how do I please God? Have you, ever, have you ever been in that spot, wondering? How do I please God? What would make God happy? Do you start your week like that? Do you start your day like that? What would make God happy today? What would please him? Well, if you're in that spot, and if you're asking that question, well, thank God, because we've come to the right text. Because this passage tells us, how do we please God? How we can do it. And here's the other thing. The passage does, it does that, but it does another thing. It also tells us why we love God. And pleasing God and loving God goes together. I don't know if you know that. But when you love the Lord, it actually gives you motivation to please God. And so we're going to look at it because it tells us how to do it. Verse 9 says, and he began to tell a parable. This is Jesus to tell the people a parable. And he said, a man planted a vineyard. Now, the man here represents God, and the vineyard represents Israel, and lent it out to tenants. And the tenants here represent the leaders of Israel. And went into another country for a while. When the time came, he sent servants. Now, servants here represents the prophets that God sent to Israel, to the the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now you're like, what's the fruit that God wants, Marv? What's the fruit that the owner is looking for? Well, it's the fruit of repentance. Yes. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And when he sent another servant, and then, sorry, and he sent a 
And then he sent, he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treat him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. Notice they keep sending him away empty-handed. They come looking for something, they go away with nothing. They go away with a black eye and an empty hand. Verse 12, and he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. God sends these servants over and over looking for the fruit of repentance. And, and, and they just don't respond the way God is expecting them and calling them to respond. And you got to realize that this is something that Israel has done for years because they've strayed away from the covenant between them and God and, and God continues to send people. Isaiah, Isaiah 5 verse 7 says, for the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Just in case you're wondering, if, is Marv making it up? Is, is the vineyard really Israel? Yes. Isaiah 5. For the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. Isn't that what you just read in the text? They beat him up, casted him out. For righteousness, and behold, an outcry. God has been calling them to repent for years. And the reason why I, I, I want us to slow down and take a look at this text is because it tells us some things about God. First, you need to see the patience of God. Did you notice the patience of God? Verse 10, he sent servants. Verse 11, he sent another servant. Verse 12, and yet he sent a third. Over and over, he sends, they attack. And then finally, he says, I'll send my son. Verse 13, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? Now, when you read that, don't think, oh, God's confused. No, the way to read it is God is saying, what more can I do to help these people? Do you see the patience? What more can I do to help these people? He says, I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. I want you to see here that God is long suffering. Do you understand that? He's even that way with you. He's even that way with me. Over and over, God gives us the opportunities to do what is right. Think about your life right now. Is there something in front of you? Maybe you're dating somebody you shouldn't be dating. You know deeply they're an unbeliever. They're not in the faith. And God is giving you an opportunity today to do what is right. Because if you read the scriptures, you realize if you continue in that vein and in that way of thinking and living, it's not going to go well. Long suffering over and over. He gives us opportunities to do what is right. God is patient. But you know what it is about people? We don't think straight. Think about that. He's patient, but we don't think straight. And you're like, where are you getting that idea? Look at verse 14. See, look at this. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us, look at this, kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. That is faulty. Who would give an inheritance to the people that killed his son? Don't you laugh sometimes when you read the Bible? 
Seriously, you're like, come on, brothers. Let us kill him, and then we will have the inheritance. What you got to understand here is temptation messes with your mind. And the people who are rebelling against God, they're not thinking straight. And so temptation comes. And this is why it's so important for us to renew our minds. And you're like, how do I renew my mind? I open the word of God. Because when I open the word of God, it gives me perspective on what I'm about to do. Just go to, what is it, Joshua Joshua 7 and go read about Achan. And just look at, you want some perspective on what sin can do and if, if you give yourself over it into your life, it affects you and everybody else who you love. You, you, you open the word and it gives you perspective. And you open the word and read it. It also prepares you for the battle that is coming. Here's what I'm trying to show you. When you read your Bible, you are playing good defense and you're building your offense for what is in front of you and messes with our thinking. We see the patience of God. Next, we see, need to see the sacrifice of God. Verse 13, he says, I will send my beloved son. He sends his son because he's giving them a chance to live. God wants you and I to live, so he gave. God wants you and I to love, so he modeled it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Don't you want to live? That is love. Then you see the justice of God. Look at verse 15. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. They're like, oh, we don't want that. We can't believe that. It says, but he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus says, they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What you need to understand is Jesus knew what was coming for him. He's talking about himself here. He knew what it was coming, but he embraced it. He knew his destiny, he fulfilled his destiny, and it changed yours. Come on. Let me try it again. He knew his destiny, he fulfilled his destiny, and it changed your destiny. Amen. Because of Jesus, you're going to live. And God held them accountable for what they did. Look at verse 16 again. He says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And in context, what this is actually talking about immediately is the judgment that came on them in AD 70 when Jerusalem was completely destroyed. And what I'm trying to tell you and show you here is that your actions have consequences. That the things you do, there is a ripple effect. There's consequences that come. It also gives me a chance to give you a little theology on judgment. Because we need to have a good understanding and perspective on the judgment of God so that we have a good understanding of God. Here's the first one. The judgment of God is about doing what is right. Think about this. He sent servants. They beat them up. 
He sent another servant. They beat them up. He sent his son. They killed his son. It would be unjust of God to do nothing about what happened there. What you need to understand is God is a God who cannot ignore the sin that we commit against each other and the sin that we ultimately commit against him. He would be unjust. Next one. The judgment of God teaches us that people will not get away with evil forever. And that this text, when you look at it, when you look at verse 16, what it should do, it it should inform the way you watch the news. It it should inform and shape the way you listen to those podcasts that you're all into. And when you see those things and you're like, what? You remember, evil will not be gotten away with forever. It should inform the way you look at corrupt people. Don't you see some corrupt people around? And you're like, they seem like they just always get away with those things. It seems like no one's going to hold them accountable for those things. That's not true. God will. It should inform the way you, you look and you, when you see those evil, corrupt governments in the world. Because it looks like they're getting away with it, huh? But not forever. Here's this last one. The judgment of God is not impulsive. The judgment of God is not impulsive. It comes, do you see it? It comes after a long process of warning. A long process of telling the truth. When you read the Old Testament, and even when you read the Gospel of Luke, the prophets come, and they tell the truth, and they warn, and they say, here's what you're doing. Here's how you've strayed from God. And they always say, but here's the way back to God. They're telling the truth. And the prophets come, and they weep over the people. Don't you remember how Jesus entered? It says back in uh, chapter 19, verse 1, and when he drew near and saw the city, Jesus, he wept over it. What does it tell you? God does not delight in death. But he, he has to do what is right. And so what you've got to understand is the judgment of God, when it comes, it's after a long process of people not responding to the compassion and patience of God. That is the reality. Even today, as you look at the world that you live in, and you're like, is, is the Lord coming soon? Yes, but even every single day that we get, if we make it through the rest of this week, it's God being compassionate, it's God being patient, it's God giving people a chance to repent and have their life changed, to give them a chance to trust in Jesus Christ who took the judgment of God in our place. You have a patient God, a patient Savior who shows compassion. And do you know that what Jesus is doing right here is compassion? It is compassion. He says, the stone that the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone, and everyone, on, on who, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. When you fall on the stone, it means you're rejecting Jesus Christ. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. That's the judgment to come. It's a hard word, but it's a kind word. Do you know why? Because he right here is warning these leaders. He's giving them a chance to repent and change. Jesus looks at him and says, I'm the cornerstone. Right? Why do you think we sung on Christ the solid rock I stand? Because that's the, the rock to stand on. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. He's like, I am the cornerstone. I am the one who will be vindicated by God. I am the one who will be exalted by God. And if you reject me, there is real and serious life-altering consequences. He warns them. I want you to know that you serve a truth-telling God. Seriously. You serve a God who is honest. See, you live in a culture where people are like, oh, if I love you, I don't tell you what you need to hear. That's not love. Jesus is the kind of God who looks at you and doesn't tell you what you want to hear. He tells you what you need to hear in order for you to make the changes that you need to make in your life. That's love. And so many people, you know you have people like this, they look at you and they see all kinds of things in you, and you're like, what do you think of me? They're like, you're great. Yes, liars. You want people in your life who look at you and they're like, you're all right. And this needs to change. You're my people, but what you're doing over there is foolishness. I'm down for you. I'm your friend. That's why I'm telling you, stop doing that. That's love. Not what you want to hear, what you need to hear to do the things you need to do. That's what Jesus is doing right here. And we follow Jesus when we do the same for one another. How do you think we grow and mature in the faith? By us hugging each other and telling each other the truth. Because we care and we want things to go well in each other's lives. Jesus here is giving us a picture of God. If you ran into Clara up on Eglinton and you said to her, Clara, why do you love God? She would tell you, because of the character he displays. That is our God. He's patient, sacrificial, and just. These, I'm telling you, I'm showing you this because it's the character you want to cultivate in your life. Think about the state of your relationships. How, how, how different would they look if patience was rolling out of you week by week? Think about the state of our culture. How different would it look if we would just start to begin to be people who actually practice justice and not just post about it? Patient and just. Think about our church, how much better things would flow and work if we would actually begin to truly give and sacrifice in a meaningful way like our God, rather than just saying amen when we hear it. It's not enough to say amen. You got to walk in the amen. Patient God. Verse 19 says, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. Watch this. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Duh. But they feared the people. Don't you? These guys are bullies. Do you know that a bully, really what's going on in them is they're really dealing with the fear of man? I'm just going to stop. I'm going to leave it there. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said so as to deliver him up to the authority the authority and jurisdiction of the governor notice that 
Jesus gives them a warning lovingly, and they ignore it. Do you know why? Because they're more concerned about protecting their power and their position. They ignore the warning. They're more concerned about protecting their rep. Did you see it in the text? They feared the people. What are the people going to say? So they sent spies. I want you to see here, these are the leaders of Israel, and I need you to understand this. Leaders can lose their way. Oh, yes. Leaders can lose their way. And one of the clearest signs that a leader has lost their way, that they're in the wilderness, that they're far away from God, is when they begin to ignore warning and correction that is offered. Because they think they're above correction, they think they're beyond it, and they just flat out ignore, I don't need that. You are always in a bad spot where you, when you get to this place where you believe in your life that you have arrived. That you are beyond making some missteps. And anytime you see that going on in a leader or even in yourself, what you're, what you, are, you are in the wilderness called pride. And you need to take the path of Jesus Christ back to the beautiful city of humility. And embrace what is being said to you. They sent spies. And the spies start speaking. It says, so they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach the truth rightly and show no partiality, but teach the way of God. So they try to flatter him. They're like, teacher, we know you tell the truth. See, what you got to understand here, everyone who flatters you is not for you. It's, let me just say, some of the ladies, you need to hear that. Right? What did Beyonce say, all my single ladies? Because there's some people, and it's, it's a lot of flattery. It's a, and you're like, oh, I think this brother's feeling me. A lot of flattery. A lot of flattery. And maybe sometimes it goes the other way. Maybe it's the and the guy's like, I think the sister feeling me. There's a lot of flattery going on, but you need to get under that. The, the Bible says that those, the person who's flattering you is setting a trap for your feet. And so as my mom would say, when you see flattery, you look at that person and you say it's later for you because they've got nothing good planned for you. They're thinking about themselves. And so we need to be wise and discerning. They flatter. The spies think they're slick, but Jesus can see through them like a glass house. He says, they said, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he, he says, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have on it? They said, Caesar's. The text says that they, they, he perceived their craftiness. He, he discerns their duplicity. What you got to understand here, this question, this, this, this tribute is a hot topic in this time. Because these are people who are living, remember again, Jews are living under Roman oppression. And so every time you had to pay tribute, it was a consistent, an everyday reminder of your living reality. And so when they ask Jesus this question, what they're trying, they're trying to do two things. Say two things. Come on, say two things. They're trying to discredit him with the people, 
and they're trying to get him accused of treason. It's a complete setup. And so they're trying to trap him. But they can't trap Jesus because he's sharper than a pair of skates. Look at verse, I don't skate, but it's true. It says, show me a, <laughs> show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveled at his answer, and they became silent. See, when you get close to Jesus, you can't, all you do is end up standing in awe. They marveled at Jesus at the answer he gave, and they became silent. The spies shut up. They had nothing to say. But I want you to notice that, did you notice that Jesus added something to their question? Did you catch it? They said, in verse 22, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? Look what Jesus says. Verse 25, he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. That word render means to give what is due. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, the things, uh, and, and to God the things that are God. He adds that. And Thabiti Anabwili says, the Lord affirms Caesar's authority, even down to paying taxes. You should pay your taxes. You should drive the speed limit. You should do jury duty if it shows up. Say amen. amen. That's what it means to be a good citizen. The Bidiana Abueli in his commentary also said, Jesus is not an anarchist. Think about that. Be a good citizen. The Lord does not equate, this is important, Caesar's authority with God's authority. Caesar may put his face and name on what is his, but this is my father's world. What Caesar has, God gave him. What belongs to God, Caesar can never claim or take. Taxes belong to Caesar. Hearts and souls belong to God. That's why Jesus says, render to God the things that are God, our heart and our soul. God can demand of us things that Caesar could never rightly demand. For example, the Lord can demand that we worship him. Caesar could not rightly do so. And now we've had a, arrived at the place. Remember I started with, how can I please God? The way we please God is by giving him the worship he deserves. You give him the worship he deserves. And you're like, Marv, his worship, does that mean I just sing a lot in church? Sanjay, you can come now if you want. Is, is giving God what he deserves means just, just singing in church, singing in my car, singing in the backyard? No, no, no. Worship is, is way more than that. Worship is giving God your life. Worship is showing God your loyalty. When the culture says, come this way, go with us, you say, no, 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 I am committed and I am loyal and I'm settled in my conviction about following and living for God. I am loyal to him and him alone. Worship is, is also obeying God from a place of love. Not out of duty, I do. I worship God with my actions, with my thoughts, with my body, with my decisions, all from a place of knowing who he is and what he has done for me. It's driven and motivated by love. And so then it does not feel like duty. It is full of delight because of who he is. 
When we do these things, you know what we're saying? We're saying, Lord, you are worthy. And no one can worship you for me. Here is my worship. All of my worship. Oh, if you ran into Sabrina up at Yorkdale and you said to her, why do you worship the Lord? Sabrina would look at you and she would tell you, I am simply giving God what he is due. He is worthy of it. See, the thing is, the, the denarius, it had Caesar's image on it. And so for him to demand it back makes perfect sense. And so you give it. But here's the thing. Do you know whose image is on you? You have the image of God stamped on you. And so when you give God yourself, you are giving God what he is due. You are giving God what rightly belongs to him. You are giving God what he is owed and it is right and it is good. That is what you do with your life because you are made by God. Do you know that? You are sustained by God. Even right now as you breathe, it's because God's letting you breathe. And you are loved by God. All you've got to do is look at Jesus Christ who got thrown out of the vineyard, hung on a cross so that you and I don't have to. He loves you. River looked at me and he said, Dad, do you think God will be disappointed if I don't go to church tomorrow? Because I don't want to go. I looked at River and I said, no. Will God be disappointed if I don't go to church? No. Here's the crucial thing. Here's why. Because he didn't want to go. Because he didn't want to go. Bringing worship and praise to God, pleasing God, is not done from this place of duty. And to be clear, I'm not trying to embarrass my boy. He's sitting right there. He was still sick. God is not pleased because if you drag yourself to church while still being sick, just because it's driven by duty, just because you're like, I have to do this, that's not worship, that's not delight. So I looked at my boy and I said, no, you're staying home. Dad, I can go by himself. You can skip, but I can't. It's not duty. God is pleased when we worship him, when we give him our life, our loyalty, and our love from a heart of sincere gratitude and, and true God-honoring biblical worship. That's what God is pleased with. That is how you please him. And so when you're doing your actions, the thing you got to ask is, is this coming from a place that is sincere? Or is it driven by duty? Is it coming from the spot where I'm doing this because I know the character of God? 
I know what he is to me. I know what he has done for me. I know how he is sustaining me right now. And that is why I am stepping in and doing this thing that I'm doing. It's gotta come from a place of appreciation, deep love and affection. And then it's true and sincere worship. And then your father is pleased and he is delighting in you as you are delighting in him. That is what he wants. That's how you please him. And I hope you see from the text why we love him. Let's stand and pray. Lord, you are worthy. And no one can worship you for me. And so God, our prayer to you today is, here's my worship, all of my worship. You deserve it. You deserve all our hallelujahs. You deserve all the glory. Here is my worship. Amen. resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.